So this morning, guess what we're going to talk about? Fear. Doesn't Brad do a great job with these? I'll tell you, I don't have that talent. Uh, more precisely, we're going to talk about what God tells us to do about fear. So what is it? Well, Webster defines it as an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. That pretty well sums it up, doesn't it? What about a biblical definition of fear? What's the Bible say about fear? Well, the Bible kind of splits it into two or three areas. Uh, I'll, I'll just mention two of them this morning. In Deuteronomy 4, verse 10, He says, never forget the day when you stood before the Lord your God at Mount Sinai, where he told me, summon the people before me, and I will personally instruct them. Then they will learn to fear me as long as they live, and they will teach their children to fear me also. And in the New, New Testament, we see an example of the consequences of uh, sin. John, uh, 1 John 4.18 says, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid... It is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. What were you saying this morning, Marlene, in Sunday school? We've got to get this love thing down, I think is what you said. Well, the Bible also talks about a spirit of fear, and that's kind of what I'm going to get into a little bit this morning. Uh, basically, three things. First, what are we afraid of? And second, what does the Bible have to say about it? And third, what are we to do about it? Because I've heard a lot of preaching on fear and this and that, and, and I think when you, when you preach about something, you need to leave people with, you know, what do I do? Because so often I've walked out, not of this church, but other churches thinking, okay, that was a great message, but now what, what do I do with it? So we'll talk about that a little bit. What does fear do to you? Well, I, you know, in spite of, I guess in, in addition to all the feelings and the pit of your stomach and, and the adrenaline and all that kind of stuff, fear gives the en enemy permission to attack us. Now think about that. When you're afraid of something, you're giving him permission to attack you. Why? Because you're doubting God's promises. God can't work in doubt and unbelief. What's Scripture say? God lives in the praises of his people, right? It's hard to praise when you're afraid. There are people who spend their whole life in fear of things. I'll tell you a little story. This isn't mine. This is something I read someplace. There was a rich couple, man and wife, um, and their bedroom was on the second floor of the house. And almost every other day, when they got into bed, the wife would say, I think I hear something. Go down and check and see if there's a burglar. So the husband was dutiful, and you know, he'd go down and he'd check. Now, he, he found out through time that it was, it was Judy's cats next door that were, that were making the noises. I'm not going to do the swing a dead cat thing, Judy, because I know how you feel about that. Um, <laughs> But he eventually found out that, that the noises weren't, you know, they were just normal noises that you hear in a house. So, so <laughs> they did this, 
He did this for 30 years. Every couple days, his wife would tell him to go downstairs and you know, check and see. So one day, he goes downstairs, and sure enough, there's a burglar down there. And the burglar points a gun at him and says, don't say a word. Give me all your valuables. So the man, the man does. And the burglar's just ready to leave, and the guy says, wait a minute, don't leave. And the burglar says, what do you mean? He says, I want you to come upstairs and meet my wife. He says, why? The guy says, well, she's been expecting you for 30 years. <laughs> Imagine being fearful of something for 30 years and then have it actually happen to you. I think we have to understand something. Fear and faith have something in common. They both ask us to believe something that we can't see, that we don't know if it's going to happen. And fear says, believe the negative, right? That little pain in your gut that you have this morning, that's going to be fatal. Fear says, don't do that, because if you do that, bad things are going to happen. Now, sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's just the enemy's way of keeping you from doing something. What does faith say? Faith says that pain isn't permanent, it's going to go away. God will heal me. Fear says our world's falling apart. Faith says God's in control. You know, when, uh, when Marion and I were going through some really tough times, I used to call my pastor and I'd have all, you know, all these things were going on, and he'd stop me and he'd say, Gil, who's in control? And I'd say, God, pastor. He said, you keep telling yourself that because you're having problems with that. And he was right. You know, all the fear would, would get me spinning off into something and, and probably that would never happen. Even though bad things did happen, it, wasn't, it was never the things I was afraid of. It was always something else. So what all are we afraid of? What about pain and suffering? Those of us who have had sciatica or kidney stones or migraine headaches, or shingles like Diane was going through here, um, we've all experienced extreme pain and suffering. There are those of us that have gone through cancer treatment, various surgeries, and all those kind of things. Does that make you afraid? I think so. I mean, fear is, fear is a normal human emotion. God gave it to us. God gave it to us for a reason. It's okay to fear the elephant charging at you. That's, uh, you know, <laughs> that goes without saying. What about the fear of the loss of a loved one? Now, I can go through the congregation and I can count at least half a dozen people that have lost a loved one in the past year or so. You know, how, do, how do you feel as you're going through that? Do you feel afraid? Do you feel, you know, what am I going to do? How could this happen? Why did this happen? God, why did you do this? God, why did you do this to me? You know, you, you, get, you can get really caught up in that. Now, we say as Christians that we don't fear death. What about the process? That's the scary part. Yeah, you're right, Marlene. That's the scary part. You know, 
days, months, sometimes years of going through something and then you die. You know, it's, it can make you very fearful. Now, there's some comfort in the fact that we're all going to die. Nobody lives forever. At least nobody that I've ever met has lived forever. What about failure? You know, how many of us have lost a job once or twice? I have. Um, and we've all feared that and what we're going to do when it happens, especially now. Um, financial ruin can make you very fearful. You know, where am I going to get the mortgage payment? How am I going to feed my family? You know, how am I going to find another job? Um, and, and some of us have gone through that multiple times, especially in, in recent days uh, with what's going on. Failure is, this, is the same thing. We, we, we've all had things we've failed miserably at. Uh, I've had two marriages. I failed miserably at the first one. <laughs> and by the grace of God, I'm going to do this one right. Um, the, the same thing with raising your kids. You know, we think we, some, some of us think we failed in raising our kids. Some of us think we did a good job only to find out that our kids are doing things that we don't, that we really wouldn't like them to do. So fear is a natural human emotion. I'll bet, uh, I, I see a lot, you're going to have to forgive me, you young people that are here, but I see a lot of us that are older. I'll bet I can raise a little bit of fear in you right now. Wait until your father gets home. <laughs> How about this one? Take out a blank piece of paper and a pencil. Remember that? Pop quiz. Yeah, that, that still raises the hair on the back of my neck. And, you know, there, there's, there's crazy little things, like let a wasp fly through here and watch the congregation. You know, we, we're, the worship team's up here on the platform, and that's happened a couple times, you know. And as you're looking out and you see people going, you know, and you know they're not listening to a thing that you're saying, they're watching that wasp. Who's it going to light on? My wife is deathly afraid of bees and wasps for, because for some reason they always fly right to her and sting her. She's one, one of those people. So that's, that's fear. That's pretty much the definition of fear. What does the Bible say about it? Pardon me? Tor well, yeah, okay, it's torment. Um, what's the world seem like today? It seems like it's falling apart, right? Um, we've, we've got a number of people here that were, grew up or were born pre-1960. And don't you long for the, uh, the good old days. We, we always forget, you know, things that happened in the good old days, like Kent State Massacre and all those kind of things. Um, some of us were on the wrong end of the uh, rifles on that. Um, and, and some of us wish we could go back because things seem more normal. The other thing we constantly hear is that we're in the end times, or the last days. And we lose sleep at night from fear that what might happen tomorrow? Now, you can't deny all these things. We are in the end times. I mean, anybody that's a Christian worth their salt knows that we're there. Uh, prophetically, what's left? The rapture, right? There's nothing left but the rapture. 
we we worry about our salvation sometimes. You know, we question our faith. And, and you know, some people are like, well, okay, if I, I was talking to my wife's hairdresser, and she said, if I question my faith, does that mean I'm not going to go to heaven? You know what I told her? I, told her, I said, you know, sometimes it's good. God, God says to ask questions. God says to question your faith. How else are you going to learn? How else are you going to prove your faith? What about people that get saved but are still fighting addictions? What happens to them in the rapture? Do they go to heaven? Personally, I think so. That's Giltoni's opinion, not anybody else's. Because you talk about um, the, the process that we go through, sanctification. My old pastor used to say, the end of sanctification is when they drive the last nail into the coffin. So you're always dealing with that. God's always showing you things. Uh, pastor tells a story about his music and how after he got saved, one day God said, you've got to get rid of all that rock music. Not because it was all bad, but because it was something that, what's, what's that song that I like, Jamie? Anything that I put before my God is an idol. So these things are all things that we worry about. Well, we've got a book. A lot of you have it on your lap. I have mine on my phone. We've waved it around. We've thumped it. Now let's open it. Now we're going to go pretty heavy into scriptures here for a while. So bear with me. And if you can't keep up, you want the scriptures later, Brad can show you how to get into the Bible app where they all are. Um, the first one is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And I'm using mostly the New Living Translation this morning, and we'll see how it matches up with Brad's New Living Translation. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Boy, that's so important. Tell him what you need and thank him. So often I forget to thank him. <laughs> then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So the Bible's telling us don't be anxious, right? Don't be afraid. Take control of your thoughts and don't let your thoughts go wild. That's another place in the Bible some places it says, you know, take every thought captive. Let the peace of God guard your heart and mind. Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Now, I like the way the Amplified says it, and don't worry about it, Brad. It says, keep and, keep and guard your heart with all vigilance, and above all that you guard, for out of it flow the springs of life. So Solomon here, is when he refers to guarding the heart, he's referring to what? The inner core of a person, your 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 being, your thoughts, your feelings, your desires, your will, the choices that you make, and that all makes up who and what you are. Bible tells us that our thoughts often dictate who we become. Our minds reflect who we really are, not simply our actions and words. And that's, well, what does God look at? He looks at the heart, right? That's why God looks at the heart. 
because our outward appearance can betray our heart. I mean, we can look fine and we can be miserable. We all know people that look fine on the outside and are miserable people, right? Marlene was talking about some of them this morning in Sunday school. You know, how do you forgive? One of my favorite verses is the one that says, those who can't forgive can't be forgiven. So what happens if you keep fear in your heart? Well, you become obsessed with it, don't you? It's like any addiction. Look at all the controversy we're in today. We have masks, we have vaccines. Well, the thing that we fear is very real. And it's something that should be feared. That's why God gave us that, that fear. But many of us have let it completely taken over our lives. And to the point where we're ostracizing loved ones and friends, and we're allowing it we're allowing the disagreements that it caused to, to, to do that. So in simple terms, if you allow fear to grip your heart and mind, it's going to do what? It's going to affect your life. Now, there was a guy that worried a lot about this, and this is a little bit different take on him. It's, it's Job. We all know the story of Job. In Job 3, verses 25 and 26, he says, What I always feared has happened to me. What I dreaded has come true. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest. Only trouble comes. Well, we all know the story of Job, and we know that, you know, we read the story, but we don't see, you know, we're the only ones that know behind the scenes. He didn't know all that. But, but there's, there's another part of that story. When everything was going good, what did Job do? He worried, right? He worried about his kids. He offered sacrifices for his kids because he was afraid they would sin and curse God and something bad would happen to them. So he was constantly afraid of that. What happened? Well, he lost all his kids. So, you know, to, to be obsessed with fear, I think is probably one of the most terrible things we can go through. That, that constant gnawing, trying to think what my mother used to call it, that chattering squirrel in the back of your mind. So, Let's move on a little bit. Let's, let's take a look at some of the things that Jesus said about fear. Matthew 8, 26, he says, Jesus responded, Why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. Now, we all know this story. They're out in the boat. He's asleep in the back. And the disciples just are in a tithy because they think the boat's going to capsize and they're all going to die. Now, when Jesus got up and did this, what did they do? They basically looked at each other and said, wow, who is this guy? Look what he can do. They missed the point. What did he say? Why are you afraid? You have so little faith. He was rebuking them for their fear and lack of faith. Now, could fear be a lack of faith? Sure. We define fear from um, the dictionary, and we defined it biblically. Wow, that's a good one. Um, but what about this scripture? 
I think Jesus was pointing this out to us specifically. Fear is a lack of faith. Now, I think that's a part of it. I don't think that's all of it, but I think that's something you might, might want to keep in your mind. Matthew 10, 26, he says, but don't be afraid of those who threaten you, for t the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. Now, how many of you have seen that online 2,452 times in the past two years? But Jesus said it, so it's going to happen. Everything that's kept secret is going to be revealed. Matthew 10, 28, he says, Don't be afraid of those, those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, I sometimes have problems with this one. I am going to be afraid of those who want to kill my body. I'm sorry. That's just my nature. But that fits in with the biblical definition of fear of the Lord and of sin. You know, fear God, because God can, you know, destroy your body and your soul. Matthew 10, 31 says, so don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Now, you remember this verse. And let's look at it a little bit in context. He says, what is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin, but not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. That's important. What's Jesus telling us? We are valued by God. We are important to God. All six hairs on the top of my head are numbered. I see other brothers in the bald here that are, that are about the same way. Uh, <laughs> I see wise laughing because they know. Um, you know, God, I, I had a pastor that used to say, God loves you so much that if he had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. You know, that's, that's, that's just the, the heart of God. That's the way he is. He, he loves us. Every hair on our head is numbered. Let's look at another one, Mark 5, 33. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. Now, let's look at this one in context. You remember this one? This is the woman with the issue of blood. She had 12 years of constant bleeding. I cannot imagine what that would be like. Um, she would have been considered unclean by her people and would have been required to announce it wherever she went. In other words, people that had problems like that, they walked down the street, they were supposed to yell, unclean, unclean, and everybody would go away from them. So, she has such faith that she says to herself, if I just touch his garment, I'll be healed. And she touches his garment, and she was healed. And what happens? Jesus turned around, and he says, who touched me? Now what's she afraid of? You know, she's been found out by Jesus and by the crowd. What's going to happen to her? Because in those days, if you didn't walk around yelling unclean, they could stone you. And in case you don't understand that, that means you die, usually. Uh, but what does Jesus say to her? He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. 
Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Now, can you imagine Jesus saying that to you? Well, honestly, if you read your Bible, he said that to every single one of us. You know, when we give our hearts to Jesus, go in peace, your suffering is over. And yet we still fear everything. All right, so what do we do about it? I told Marlene last Sunday that she had given me the end of my sermon. Sadly, it's not a short end. But here we go. We all face fear in life and in our walk with Jesus. But we're Christians, so how should we handle it? Marlene even talked a little bit about that. I'm sorry, Marlene, I keep bringing you into this, but you even talked a little bit about this in Sunday school this morning. You said there was a chapter in Ephesians, in Ephesians and you hadn't memorized how the... And, and I'm, assuming, I'm assuming it's... Oh, it's... Okay, well, then I blew it. Think on these. Yeah, well, I'm going I'm to do um, the armor of God, which is what I thought you were talking about this morning, but that's Okay. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13, and I, th I think this is such a great, I'm going to read it from the New King James. I don't know, did I tell you that? Yes, good, okay. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith which we, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication to the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. All right, let's take that apart. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. How many of you guys are at the age where if you don't put your belt on, your pants fall down? because the part above the belt is bigger than the part below the belt, and, well, we won't go into that. Um, it's very fitting that the belt of truth is the first piece of the whole armor of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So truth is very important in the life of a Christian. Without truth, the rest of the armor is of no use to us, because if we don't have the spirit of truth, We've got nothing. That's our belief in Jesus Christ. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, what does that mean? How many of you like ancient history? You know, when, when I was younger, half the kids in the church would put their, you know, anybody under 20 would put their hand up and say, yeah, I love it. Chain mail, knights in shining armor, horses, lances, all that good kind of stuff. He's talking about a Roman breastplate here. And what's the purpose of the breastplate? Yeah, your heart, your liver, your lungs, all the internal, all the internal organs. 
But the breastplate of righteousness protects spiritually, right? So when, the, when we enter the battlefield, Satan will attempt to pierce our most vulnerable, area, vulnerable areas, which, which is the heart, really. So God arms us with the breastplate of righteousness to prevent Satan from delivering a fatal blow. But what does righteousness entail? Okay, yeah, you have to make a choice to regularly engage with Scripture and spend time with God. That's, that's part of righteousness. When we encounter temptations and doubts on the battlefield, and the battlefield is every day when you get up and go out into the world, you're on the battlefield. So we need to come fully equipped to combat the enemy with the armor of God. The next piece is having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, this, this one confused me for a long time because I couldn't understand what in the world they were talking about. Um, and I finally found, looking around, I finally found a, a explanation that made sense to me. And it, if you've ever been in the military, you know the value of a good pair of boots. We, we used to call them jump boots, but... Um, the Roman battle sandals, if you look into it, were, very, uh, were a heavy-duty kind of sandal. And guess what they had on the bottom of them? Spikes. That's interesting. It kind of gives a whole new meaning to the song, I went to the enemy's camp and he's under my feet. Some of you younger people won't remember that one. Um, that's from Brownsville, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, like the Roman footwear, these shoes protect us on the spiritual battlefield. A barefoot soldier is going to encounter debris, rough patches of ground, and it's going to throw his fighting off. Because you all know if your feet hurt, there's not a whole lot you can do. So we're, we're to advance on the battlefield unafraid because we carry the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. That's what the good news is, right? No matter what garbage the enemy throws in front of us, in the, in the war and the chaos that we all go through, we know God has everything under control and that his plan can't be thwarted by the devil. And I think that's something that we all need to keep reminding ourselves. You know, God's got this. No matter what we see or hear, God's got this. Then he says, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench, I love this, all the fiery darts of the wicked one. It's one of my favorites. As a matter of fact, I have a whole sermon on that, but I won't preach it today because we'll be here till God knows when. Um, the Romans had two kinds of shields. They had a parade shield, which was round and you know not, not real big, and they put it on their waist and they kind of went, oh, look at me, I have a shield. This, what he's referring to, is the battle shield. Now, if any of your kids play online games and you play the ancient history ones, you see those battle shields, and husbands play those games, yeah, I get it. Um, you see those battle shields, they're about six or seven feet tall. You know, and, and the, the uh, artists that drew those love to depict thousands of people with the, with the shields up, you know, and it looks like a, it looks like a wall. Well, that's actually what, what it is. 
Just before battle, they used to rub those things down with water so that when the fire arrows came, they'd be quenched. And, and in some cases, you'll see there's, there's a row of them facing out and there's a row of them facing up. And the way they did that was they all got together, and I think I demonstrated that with Mark one time. You know, you hook arms and you got your shield out and you link shields and there you are. So they locked them together, and when the fire arrows rain down, they go out on the shields. Now, there are a couple different kind of fire arrows. I'm not going to go into that, but the, the idea was to quench the fire, and it worked very well. The last thing, I hope, yep, no, not the last thing, next to the last, last piece of clothing. It says, take the helmet of salvation. Now, in the Roman army, they put their helmet on last. So why not first? Well, if a soldier experienced head injuries, the rest of the armor would kind of be useless, right? What's it, what is it? It's the helmet of salvation. Can we do that ourselves? No. So that's, that comes from God. Salvation is a protection that comes from God. We cannot put it on. He puts it on us. We do have to put on a helmet of salvation every day, though, and that's the hope, the helmet of the hope of salvation, which is what we have, right? Salvation is our great hope. So the devil likes to plague us with doubts about our salvation. He likes to give us worldly ideas. Sound good. Um, he likes to have us focus on what's happening right here, right now, instead of eternity. What's important? Eternity, right? I mean, we, we live here 70, 80, 100 years, but we have an eternity that we have to face. So the helmet of salvation protects us from the enemy's attack on our mind. Remember Joyce Meyer, Battlefield of the Mind? A lot of you ladies and some of, you, some of us guys read that. My wife made me read it. Um, so the helmet of salvation takes care of the fatal blows that the enemy is aiming at our head of the doubts, doubts and everything from our eternal standing with God to what's going on right here, right now. Then we come to the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword that, that's mentioned here belongs to the Holy Spirit. It's not my sword. It's the sword of the Holy Spirit. It's both offensive and defensive in nature. Remember your old Robin Hood films and all that where the, you, know, you, you, you parry, thrust, parry? I think there's a Daffy Duck cartoon with a thrust, parry, spin, and then he falls in the creek. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, sword can protect a soldier against the blows of an enemy, but they have to be properly wielded for maximum effect, right? In the same way, we can't misuse the sword of the spirit or we'll put ourselves in danger on the spiritual battlefield. Now, Marlene was talking a little bit about that this morning. Again, I'm going to go to her. You know, Jesus said, love your enemies. Okay, I got this sword. <laughs> How am I going to love with this sword? You know, my, my daughter Kim and I used to have 
conversations about this because we both have kind of a warrior spirit in us and when things start getting bad we want to whip out that sword and start hacking well there's a danger in that the sword of the spirit which is the word of god what happens usually when you when you're talking to people that don't believe they're either going to twist scripture or they're going to give you one of those really difficult passages of scripture you know the ones that we're covering in sunday school you know like like dashing the baby's heads against the rocks you know what what, what in the world was god talking about um you have to be ready to give an answer and the only way to do that is to engage in that sword of the spirit every day you have to learn how to wield it you have to practice it you have to read it so you need to be in the word every day and we also need to be ready to spread the gospel through our understanding of it jesus says the most powerful thing is the word of your testimony right Now, the last part here is, is kind of obvious. It says, praying of, always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Now, if you're like me, you look at that word supplication and you wonder what it means. It's used over 60 times in the Bible. Wow. In Latin, it means to plead humbly. Supplication can be summarized as a request to God. In Christianity, genuine supplication is an expression of authentic belief in God and trust in him to answer prayer. So that's, that's kind of interesting because I never really knew that's what it meant. He's talking about being humble, humbly asking for things, uh, praying for people in humility. All right, hang in there. We're almost at the end, and we're probably going to get out a couple minutes early, maybe. Um, I, in closing, I want to use something that we heard last Wednesday night from Tiff Shuttlesworth. I don't know how many of you are coming to the Wednesday night services, but there are video, we've been doing some video studies, and they're very good. The last two, I think, are called the Unstoppable Church. Now, when you listen to the news, or those of you who are on Twitter or, or Facebook or Gab or MeWe or any of the 9,400,000 social media sites that are out there, what are you hearing about Christianity? It's weak, right? It's, it's dying. It's evil. Christians are evil people. They kill people. They hate people. They do this. They do that. And you can't spend much time in the world without hearing that. And it's kind of like a, a constant drumbeat beating you down all the time, day after day after day. Last scripture, Matthew 16, 18. Again, from New King James, it says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, 
Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. That's a pretty profound statement to take hold of today. We heard from Tiff Shuttlesworth on Wednesday that he delivered this to his disciples in front of the caves at the foot of Mount Hermon. And at that time, people considered that the demonic headquarters and one of the entrances into the Old Testament and Greek world of hell. So picture Jesus standing in front of the entrance of hell saying that. Now, you look at the phrase, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church, describes our church taking on the onslaught of evil. evil. But you know what? There is no word against in the Greek. It's not in the Greek. Translating the phrase without it gives a little bit different. The gates of hell will not withstand it. The church is the aggressor. That's what Jesus, Jesus sees his church as the aggressor. He was declaring war on evil and death. It says he would build his church atop the gates of hell. He would bury them. I think that's neat. And lastly, I want you to consider this bit of the truth, no matter what you've heard or hear on the news. Who knows how many Christians there are in the world today? Only those people there on Wednesday night, right? 2.3 billion. That's a third of the population of the world. That's not what you're hearing on the news. And they're being added to daily. That's more than the Muslims, it's more than any other religion, and it's more than most Eastern religions combined. Why are we afraid? If you want to be afraid of something, imagine being an unbeliever living in a world where 2.3 billion Christians have suddenly disappeared at the rapture. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? A third of the earth's population gone in the blink of an eye, in the twinkle of an eye, I'm sorry. That's what the unsaved will be faced with at the rapture. So we need to be about our business, right? About telling people about the good news. What happens when the church is persecuted? It grows. Chairman Xi is um, persecuting Christians in China. The church in China is exploding. I mean, if you, if you read anything, if you get on Voice of the Martyrs or, or if, you, if you do some research on some of the big uh, church websites that are involved a lot in that, you'll find out that, that there's a revival going on in China. You're not hearing much about it because they don't want it out and they're doing everything they can to stop it, but they can't. And that's happened hundreds of times in, in history where we're gonna stamp out those awful Christians and, and through love and perseverance and spreading the gospel, it, the church grows. So I want, I want you to take two things away today. First is the knowledge that Christ gives us the ability to overcome our fears and actually live our lives. That's what he was talking about, you know, live, live life more fully. Second, we serve a church that's unstoppable. 
So no matter what you hear, he says that hell is not going to stop the church. So all the things you hear in the world today about how Christianity is going to be ended and we're going to all this, yeah, persecution is going to come. Bible tells us that. We should expect it. But, but it can't stop the church. It can't stop Jesus. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I keep, I keep teasing people about, I don't know if you, any of you have heard it, it's, it's a new song called Rattle. It's not really a worship song. Not really a worship. It's a great song. I wish I could sing well enough to sing it. But, you know, there's a line in there where the guy says, when did impossible ever stop you? You know? The other line is, um, Friday's disappointment is Sunday's empty tomb. When did impossible ever stop you? It, it's, it's a weird song, but it's got some great message in it. So that's pretty much it. I'm down to the clipboard. Father, we thank you so much for your mercy, for your grace, for your son. We thank you, Jesus, for giving us everything, Lord. You gave us the entire world. You gave us hope, peace, healing, salvation, and deliverance. Father, we thank you. We ask as we go out into the world this week that you remind us of that, Lord. Give us the strength, give us the words we need, and just give us the people on our path that we can talk to. I ask for your blessing on everyone here. I ask for your blessing on everyone watching, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Pastor will be back next week. Keep praying for them, because I think they'll come back today and Dustin, and Xander. <laughs>